Lord, we just thank you for Mary. We thank you for the word you're going to bring through her. We pray, Holy Spirit, you speak through her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. First, a word about the forgiveness thing that we just went through. Forgiveness is an act of your will. That is a verb. To forgive means that you do something. When you forgive, it's an action that you have already taken. And you can, whenever that thing comes up in your heart, on your mind, or in your spirit, the thing that has caused you to need to forgive, you can point back to this day and you can say, on Easter Sunday, 2023, I forgave that situation. Satan, you shut up. I'm not going to go through this again. I've already taken care of that. It's already under the blood. It's already at the foot of the cross. Shut up and leave me alone. I'm not doing this again. And that's, that's exactly how strong you have to be because he will continue to bring that up from time to time if you let him. So make it a matter of your willpower. God has already blessed you with every good and perfect gift. And that means the strength of character and spirit and soul and mind to forgive and to leave it there. Amen? All right. Praise God. That's the end of that sermon. <laughs> Now we get on to the real business. What does Easter mean for us today? Is it Easter bunnies? No, not really. Or Easter eggs? No. Or sweet hot cross buns? Oh, I had a hot cross bun this morning for my breakfast. That's the first time I've broken my diet since the first of March. But it was so good. <laughs> I'm not having another one. Thank you, Jesus. It is the celebration of reconciliation relationship, renewal, and redemption. That's what Easter really is. Now, we've heard all the sermons about Easter, about the... Julie, you staple these together for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> we've heard all about the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, and all the marvelous gifts that we've received because of that episode in our Lord's life. We, we've heard all of them. I mean, we've been coming to church for donkey's years, I guess. But anyway, we've heard all about those things. But what is there a new perspective that we can look at it from? Yes, there's always a new perspective. There's always a new day. There's always a new dawn. There's always a new thought. There's always something fresh that we can get from the Word of God. We've heard all about the power to overcome death. And do you know we sing that verse that says, death, where is your sting? That's not only the, our death. Death has no sting over us anymore. It has no power to make us afraid because we've been forgiven. And it's the same with the death of a loved one. That death does not have to sting us. It does not have to break our hearts into thousands of pieces that can't be put back together again. Because we have hope in Jesus. We have hope that our loved one was seen by the Lord and was forgiven by the Lord. Even if it was at the very last second of their life. So death has no sting. It doesn't matter what went on in that person's life before. God is merciful and loving and caring. They just have to repent, and that's, up, that's between them and God. 
But it does not have to have a sting for us. Amen? We've heard all about the forgiveness of sins and the new birth that the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection extends to us. And of course, there's all the symbolic relationships to the Old Testament Jewish feast of Passover and how that relates to us today. When the, when the angel passed over and saw the blood on the lentils of the people's homes, the death angel would not go in. The blood applied kept them safe. The blood applied kept them free, kept them alive. And when we apply that blood to us, it's the same situation. We are kept alive. We are spared the death and degradation of being found guilty. And Passover is happening at the same part of the season just now. I'm going to look at a couple of other things that um, we may not have even thought about through the crucifixion and resurrection. And let's start in the Garden of Eden. So we're going to start at the very beginning. In the beginning, (laughs) it was a perfect place. Perfect. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. It hadn't even rained yet. Everything was watered by the mists rising up out of the ground. All God asked for was for Adam and Eve to trust in the relationship. Father and children. Let God be God and people respond to his leadership. But there were two trees in that garden, one producing life and the other producing knowledge of good and evil. Father God warned them not to eat of that tree. The tree of life was free, no limits, easily accessible, just as the relationship to him was free and unlimited and readily available to come to him for knowledge. What happened? People chose knowledge over life, reasoning over relationship. And in so doing, they started the process of death and decay. Now, up until that point, they had been free to eat abundantly from the tree of life. And I believe, now this is personal, it's not said in the Bible, it's not a thus saith the Lord, but this is what I think happened. I believe that the effects of their being able to eat so freely from the tree of life is what enabled the elders of the Bible to live to be such advanced ages, like Methuselah and Noah and so on. It took many generations to be bred out of mankind's DNA, but not his spirit or soul. Those were everlasting things. But the body was then able to start decaying once the DNA from the tree of life was bred out of man. That's my personal opinion. We can argue about that if you want to. We'll talk about that, but (laughs) that's my opinion, okay? The second thing that happened after the fall was the cursing of the ground so that instead of life-giving plants being in the majority, now the ground produced thistles, and thorn bushes, and things like that. So now let's jump forward to the crucifixion. There's an old wives' tale that the um, wood of the cross was made from the dogwood tree, as it used to stand straight and tall and strong and sturdy. 
But now it's stunted and twisty, and you can't make a straight cross out of the wood from a dogwood tree. And its flower petals now show four points, each one perforated and stained to look like blood, in shame for being the wood chosen to be the place of Jesus' death. Now, I'm not so sure that that's the species of tree that was used at all. But I wonder, I wonder if the remnants of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the tree that produced the wood for the cross. Remember, when God closed up the Garden of Eden, it was only the tree of life that was hidden and guarded by angels with fiery swords. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was still viable, still producing its fruit and reproducing after its kind. The seeds even continued after the flood. I wonder if Jesus' crucifixion on that tree was symbolic, showing that that tree had no power anymore to entice people that knowledge of good and evil no longer was going to be a stronghold in people's hearts and minds and spirits. That now, because of the death of the Son of God, it also portrayed the depth, the death of that captivating spirit that's the enemy of faith. And the same thing with the thorns. They were part of the cursed ground. And Jesus was crowned with the elements of the curse pronounced against the first sins. He wore that curse like a crown. He took on the entire curse on our behalf. He was cursed by hanging on a tree, as it says in Deuteronomy 21, chapter 21, verse 23. And here with the crown of thorns, we see him overcoming that curse as well. What the enemy meant for derision and ridicule, Jesus wore like a true king. And here's another example. In the book of Numbers, during the story of the Exodus, the people grumbled about the way that they were living. God had just delivered them from a powerful enemy through a great victory. But they started complaining about food. They grumbled about God's treatment, about Moses' leadership, about everything. And it got to be, it was like that they had forgotten all about the miracles that had happened surrounding their leaving Egypt. And it got to be so bad that God sent fiery serpents among them as a judgment. He sent them, and many died. The people then repented And begged Moses to talk to God on their behalf. The Lord instructed Moses to fashion a bronze serpent. The image of the very judgment he had sent. And put it on a pole. And whoever saw it and was repentant would be healed. Now how how does that, what's that got to do with Jesus? What's that got to do with Easter? According to the laws of Moses, the judgment of sin required death either through the sacrifice of animals or the laying of sins of the people on a scapegoat that was sent outside of the camp to die. The very place of the crucifixion was called Golgotha, or the place of the skull. Do you know why? Do you know why it was called that? 
in ancient lore, that was deemed to have been the place where Adam was actually buried. And it even looked in shape like a skull when you've seen it from a distance. So the place of the burial of the first man and the last man were the same place. That's fascinating to me. I I just think that's just... And the hill of Golgotha was outside the city of Jerusalem. And then in this instance, we see that God made those judgments of death, the fiery serpent and the crucified Jesus, the very objects that the sinner needed to look at in order to be forgiven and healed. They needed to comprehend that their own judgment of sin as sin could lead to repentance and renewal. It's all well and good for God to make judgment on sin, but until we recognize our sin as sin, we can never repent of it. And without repentance, there can be no acceptance of true forgiveness. Remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we see Jesus on the cross, we see the same representation. The curse of death for sin, when placed in Jesus' loving grace, becomes the object of our redemption and healing. A symbol of God's own sacrifice to clear the sin debt on our behalf. And so here again, we see the implements of the curse becoming the symbols of the blessing, the grace, and the mercy of God. He himself has taken on not only the sin of the world, but all its punishments. He, when the Lord showed me this this week, it just, just about blew me away. He took on every sin against every commandment ever committed. Ever From Adam and Eve all the way to Luke Skywalker 3,000 years from now. He assumed the guilt for every last sin. The earth's population right now stands right at 8 billion people today. 8 billion people. Can you imagine that number? Now think about... All of the generations that have gone before since Adam and Eve. That's probably another 8 billion from the beginning until today. That's 16 billion people. And if you account for only the sin of one day, can you imagine the enormous weight of guilt and punishment that Jesus would have had to bear? Can you see that? Can you feel that? Can you hear that in his heart? When he says, Father, forgive them, he's not only talking about the people right there on Golgotha. He was talking about from Adam and Eve all the way to the end of the universe. Billions and billions of people and billions upon billions of sins and heartache and heartbreak. 
What a true gift of love. The Lord showed me one time, and I've told this before, that the depth of love is this, that the lover, God himself, protects the loved one, that's us, from all harm, even from himself. He said of himself in Malachi 3, For I am the Lord, I change not. So justice is demanded, but love supersedes judgment. Love provides the way of escape. And there's one more thought to ponder over this marvelous event. Again, this is something that I've shared before. Who but God himself could bear the horrible punishment that all that weight of sin from beginning to end would demand. No human being could ever bear that weight. You want an example? In the very beginning, we have the story of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, we read that Cain got jealous and killed his brother. And the way that we read the story nowadays, and because of how we've been taught, is that Cain then complained against God, saying he would be judged by the world, and that punishment was too much to bear. And God put a mark on him to show the world. Now most people think that that was a curse. Oh, the mark of Cain, he's a murderer, he's a fratricide, he's doomed and blah, blah. I think that Cain was pleading with God as a repentant child, recognizing his total brokenness and understanding that the punishment for his colossal sin really was too much for his weak character to handle. And God did mark him, sealed him to be preserved until Jesus could take on his guilt. I've even heard that that mark was a word that meant preserved or saved. And it looked like a tree or cross. Not as further punishment, but like in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, the seal of the Holy Spirit that keeps us preserved against our own judgment when God then will see us in the Son. That's what I think that mark was about. That's what I think happened to Cain. Now, if, if you can read that story for yourself and ask the Lord to show you what it means for you. But that's what it means to me. And I think that this is the true nature of Easter, that God has always had a plan of salvation in place for us. The second person of the Trinity has always been in operation. We were made in his image, his spirit, his soul, and his body. People have always been surrounded by his love and protection if we only knew it. God protected people from an everlasting life filled with sin and the knowledge of our guilt by stopping access to the tree in the garden that was the tree of life. God protected Adam and Eve even from the elements after their expulsion from the garden by killing animals to fashion protective clothing for them. And he explained the consequences of their sin and how the world had changed because of it, using what we have considered to be the curses in the early chapters of Genesis. 
I don't think that those were necessarily curses, but more like explanations of what now was going to happen to them. Except for the ground. That's the dirt from which man was made. And except for the serpent who did the enticing. And God said to that serpent that his food now would be the dust of the earth. And this is something else I've shared before. You know, we differentiate between the flesh and the spirit. The Lord showed me once that when we act out of the flesh, we are acting like the dirt. We are acting like the serpent's food. When we sin, we are feeding the enemy. Now think about that one. But all of that, all of that has been dealt with because of the events that we celebrate today. Easter, the dawning of the rising of the sun, rising with healing in his wings, rising to newness of life, rising from death, never more to die, rising to peace with the Father, rising from condemnation to justification, rising from sinfulness to sanctification, rising from degradation to glory, rising from orphanhood to being the sons and daughters of the king. Hallelujah. Something that I shared on Facebook this week. Easter can be spelled this way. E, Emmanuel, the God who is among us, and is A, Almighty God, and S, the Savior, who T, translates E, everyone, from being R, rejected to redeemed. That's how we can spell Easter. Emmanuel, the God who is among us and an almighty God, and the Savior who translates everyone from being rejected to redeemed. Hallelujah. That is so powerful. Let's rejoice in our redemption. Let's give thanks and praise to our Savior. Let our hearts leap for joy at his faithfulness. Let us dance and sing for our liberty. Let us experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Let our hearts burn like signal fires pointing to the coming of the Lord. Oh, let the king of the universe truly rule and reign in his truth and grace and mercy all the days of our lives. For it is through him that we live and move and have our being. Amen? Amen. All right, stand up on your feet. I want to pray for you. Father God, we thank you that we have Easter. We thank you, Father, that we have forgiveness of everything that we've ever done wrong. And Father, we thank you that you bring us to glory to be with yourself. Father, I pray for this congregation and for everyone who hears this message, Lord, that you will just invade them with your love and your mercy and grace. And you will fill them with the knowledge that you have done this for them on their behalf. So that they do not have to suffer with guilt and punishment. But Lord that they can always rejoice in life and liberty. In Jesus name. Amen.